I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. If you missed our show this morning, Mornings with the Coach, here's what you missed. What is going on, San Diego? Welcome to Mornings with the Coach. Except this is not the coach, and that's not the coach. I don't see the coach in here anywhere. Derek Tokerson from NBC7 filling in for the coach along with... A.J. Casavell from MLB.com. He covers the Padres. A.J., this is a strange pairing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little early for me, too. Well, I, you, I'm, too. I'm usually a night owl. I'm usually getting home late from these games, but uh, I'm ready to go. I'm, as, I'm coffeed up and ready to go. As am I. As I got the, uh, the the bang here, though. I go with the uh, the energy drinks because the coffee is a little bit too too mild for, for my taste. But, yeah, we're used to working late, you know, doing the 11 o'clock over at NBC, most of the night games at the Padres. So we went about on, what, two, three hours sleep or so, came in, you're ready to go? Well, I think I'm good because of the day game yesterday, and I was a little worried at, nice. at one point when it was raining that we might get pushed back and later and later and later. So I'm ready to go. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about that game in that series because I think it was uh, it, it was impressive to me the way the Padres bounced back more than anything else. Absolutely. I, I mean, we can talk about a lot of different aspects of it. There's a lot of different takeaways from the game, but the fact that they fell below 500 for the first time and the fact that they dug themselves out of that hole says something. I think about the character of the team. And you know what? In the last yes. probably in the last five or six years, there haven't been really many kind of character-defining moments for the Padres, and I'm not saying this this tells us who the Padres are, but this was one of those moments where you kind of think, oh, you know what? M- maybe they can linger a little bit this year. Maybe they can make the a little race. bit of a play. And, yeah, and, and, the- and, and I'm not saying at the top of the wild card, but doesn't take a whole lot to be that second wild card. So, so, so we're already riding off the division. The Dodgers have the division wrapped up. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And by so. the way, we're going to talk a lot of baseball today. We're going to talk a lot about the Padres. We're going to talk about San Diego State baseball. We're going to talk about who stays and who goes on this roster. Yes, including the infamous Will Myers and who should stay in the starting rotation. What do you do with Chris Paddock in the innings limits and Matt Strom? We're going to get through all of that. So stick with us throughout your day. If you're on your morning drive, if you're getting ready, if you're getting the kids ready for school, we're also going to talk some uh, some NFL owners meetings and. Uh, particular certain banned substances that may no longer be banned substances. We're going to get into that later on as well. So uh, if you'd like to call in and check out or listen or give us your opinion on some of the stuff, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. That is your phone number. Give us a buzz. Talk whatever you want to talk about. We can always pivot and adjust to whatever you'd like to say. Now, AJ, I like what you're saying here. The Dodgers are going to win this division, barring some sort of like biblical-level disaster. They're going to win this division. And even then, I don't know. And even then, right? Even then, you're, you don't know. Even then, like some New Testament resurrection type stuff might happen. Okay. And the Dodgers will still win the West this year. Precisely. So, so let's go ahead and give them that because they are the best team in the National League, probably for the third straight year. We can all agree on that? Yeah. Okay, so wild card. Padres in second place right now. And as you said, the Padres came back from dipping under five hundred immediately with a sweep of the Diamondbacks, who were fighting with them for second place. That shows some serious resolve. So... Is it a pipe dream for us to think that this team, with everything we know is coming, can stay in the playoff hunt until September? I don't think that's a pipe dream at all. And I okay. think I think maybe the playoffs themselves, actually actually getting there would be, but more than anything to me this year is about getting 
getting in those games, getting in in that environment. I mean, if the, if the Padres are are playing on September thirteenth, playing meaningful games, if they're playing an right. important game, and 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 they're you're, you're getting guys like Chris Paddock and Eric Lauer and Joey Lucchese, start, starting pitchers like like that kind of experience. You get to see them in those environments. You're gonna learn a lot about your guys, and you're gonna you're gonna set set up the team for twenty twenty and beyond. And so I I think maybe maybe looking at the postseason right now. Is, is too early, but it's also been no, no, 50 no. That's, games. That's what it's we, been that's, 50 games. So we're this, third this of the way is, through. It's it's no longer a small sample to say to, to say the, the the these might be the same old Padres. I think we can clearly say that they aren't. They're not. No, and, and, and this is a fan base. We've not even sniffed meaningful games in September since 2010. We need to talk about the possibility of meaningful games in September simply because we're all craving it so much. You mentioned the character of the team. Andy Green takes a lot of crap. From a lot of people, I think some of it's rightfully so. Some of it is people just like to complain about the manager. So, does the character of this team come from the skipper? Should he get more credit for that? Should he get less credit for that? Or does it come from guys like Eric Hosmer, from Manny Machado, from the guys who were uh, even Ian Kinsler in that clubhouse? Where does this come from? Where, where does the character and the bounce-back nature of this team come from? And, and should we be talking at all with the team with the winning record 50 games in, about Andy Green's job status, because that's a thing. That's, yeah, that's a I, thing people are jumping on. I, I, don't, I don't know that, we're, that, we, that you give the credit for the resilience first to Andy Green. I think you give it to the guys in the clubhouse. You right. give it to, to some, of those, some of those veteran guys who keep it even keel on a day-in, day-out basis. Eric Hosmer, Craig Stammen, Kirby Yates. Those guys have been really good this year, and I think leveling, leveling off some of the, the over-exuberance, over-excitement of the young guys. Uh, but that's not to say that Andy Green doesn't deserve credit because right now the Padres have a have a pretty substantial negative run differential and they're two games above 500 and so they're winning a, a lot of close Andy, games. Andy Green right. probably gets some heat for some things that he deserves. I think there's there's some lineup questions that I have on a pretty pretty regular basis, um, but we're gonna find out I think a little bit more to. to, to Either call for his job or to or to be look, questioning his validity as a manager based on what we've seen in the last three years. I think that's completely unfair because of the rosters he was presented with. Right. We're going to find out moving forward this season. I think the kind of the, I, I guess the kind of direction uh, he can take the team. And so to me, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to give him full credit right now for them being resilient on in the in late May. But there's a chance for for him to kind of. To, for him to kind of take take the team by the reins and and and, and be a guy uh, that 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 just that does that. So I don't I I'm I'm looking ahead to the rest of the season before I before I give him any of the plaudits. I think right now it's more within the clubhouse. The lineup changes. I'm glad you brought that up because he takes a lot of grief for the lineup changes. I'll ask you this: one, isn't that something that's kind of part of baseball nowadays? Everybody, oh, yeah. Everybody's flipping around. And two. Is he really the one who's making these lineup changes, or is it the baseball operations folks who are like, listen, Greg Garcia is going to give you a better chance against this right-handed pitcher. You better put him at the top of the lineup, bump a couple guys down, and they had to move Will Myers down out of pure necessity because you could then no longer justify having a guy hitting like that at the number the five hole. You have to move him down to seven or eight. Is the lineup construction really all on Andy Green? How much, or is he kind of the guy who was just remember filling it out because of what the baseball ops guys are telling him to fill out, and then he's working with it from there? I'm not even. I'm honestly not even sure how much. I don't it, think it really is. matters. You know, like lineup construction. I think is one of the more overrated topics we discuss. 
But but everyone wants to gonna, chirp if, at him because yeah, this, this guy can't get into a groove. Austin Hayes can't get into a groove because he's hitting seventh or he's hitting eighth or he's hitting second. No, this, big league hitters today know unless you're Manny Machado and you're hitting third. Or Yara Cosmer, and you're hitting two through four. You're going to be somewhere in the lineup. Everyone's uh-huh. used to it by now. Well, and and everyone's kind of mad about the way the lineup's constructed. And I've I've seen some criticism about Franmil Reyes hitting second. And I think He's your maybe, highest OPS maybe, guy. Maybe in the long term, maybe long term, maybe there's maybe there's something different down the road. But you know what? There's no space to complain about what Franmil Reyes is doing no. right now. He's killing it. He's he's having one of the one of the best breakout seasons in all of baseball. I think he by by this time. Three months from now, he's going to be probably a. He could be a nationally known name. He could go to the All Star game. He's he going to win, win, win the home run derby. He's going to win the home run derby. I think he'll maybe win a round. He's going to win the home run derby. Hey Jay, he, he might win a round. I, I don't know if I don't know if he'll be able to hold up for the three. It's a it's 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 a marathon that derby now. You know what? Actually, but, it, it is a lot more of a physical strain than people realize. That's, yeah, you got to be in decent shape to win that thing. But but going back to the lineup point, it's. It, it, I think Andy Green has more control over the lineup than most managers in baseball, but it's collaborative, and and he takes the input from the front office and, and puts it into his daily lineup. So uh, the people who want to blame Andy Green for the lineups that they're seeing, A, I think the lineups have been okay aside from, generally speaking, who's in the leadoff spot, and B, it's not always Andy Green's call, so the criticism you're leveling probably should be leveled at at the entirety of the of the Padres front office plus the coaching staff plus Andy Green. So you're talking about AJ Preller, you're talking about Chris Camp, you're talking about you're talking about everybody who puts any of any of this stuff together. Anybody who has input in the players that they are that they are getting. And by the way, doesn't lineup optimization suggest that your best is in the number two slot? Mike Trout hits the number two hole all the time, right? Yeah. No, I So why I, is no, your highest OPS guy in the two hole a problem? It, it's not. It Thank be. you. It shouldn't be. I mean, if you want to say Manny Machado should be hitting second, sure. But I think Manny likes hitting third. To me, it's more important. The way you structure your lineup, it's more important to have guys hitting where they're comfortable hitting. Clearly, Manny's comfortable hitting third because he's been there his whole career. Clearly, he's Ron Meal's comfortable hitting second. And you know what? It looks like Eric Hosmer is pretty comfortable hitting fourth right now. That's and the that's other a, guy. That's a really good two, three, four all of a sudden, the, the way they're hitting. So you, when you have that settled, you can say, all right, let's get Tatis healthy. Let's... Let's get one of these outfielders clicking. Hunter Renfro's kind of been in and out. He's he's been pretty good at some points this year. All of a sudden, one through five, you're pretty good. Maybe you get healthy. Maybe you get Franchi Cordero, or maybe Francisco Mejia comes up and he starts hitting. The lineup, the the basis for a decent Padres lineup, even though the offense hasn't been good enough this year, the on base percentage is something something like two eighty five. The 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 foundation for a pretty good lineup this year is not all that far away. Uh, we got, you mentioned Mejia. We got to get this guy con- some consistent at bats, right? You got to get Luis Urias consistent at bats. I'm bringing these guys up, and they did that kind of did this to Ty France, right? When he first came up, I mean, he was destroying the Pacific Coast League. And no, I'm not saying the Pacific Coast League is in any way comparable to playing at Major League Baseball, all right? But when you got a guy who's swinging a hot bat, that's when you want to bring him up because he's feeling good, he's got his confidence, and he gets. Three at-bats in the first four games, right? They're bringing him to pinch hit, and that's when you start to lose your timing. You don't know what you're doing. I think they did that a lot to Luis Urias when he came up this year. You got a guy who's killing it in the PCL. He comes up, and I know you've talked about the fact that they're looking for more from him than just results. But how are you going to know if those results or the, the approach he's taking is there if you're not giving him, okay, you're, you're in the starting lineup straight every day for two weeks. We're going to let you see big league pitching. We're going to get you... 
80 at-bats. We're going to let you see how this works and see if he can make the adjustments there. Same with Francisco Mejia. He's got to get more than two starts and a couple pinch hits a week if we're going to see if this guy truly can be a big league hitter. Are they willing to take Austin Hedges out of the starting lineup consistently? Are they willing to take Ian Kinsler and Greg Garcia out of the starting lineup consistently to give these guys the consistent at-bats they need to, as we're saying, set the lineup and the roster for 2020 and beyond. I, I think they are, and I think already looking ahead with Mejia, he's on his rehab stint right now, they've kind of they've kind of said... He hit a bomb in his first game at El Paso. Yeah, yeah. They, they've kind of said, you know what, if, if he hits at El Paso and if Austin Hedges keeps struggling, which he hasn't, he, he has, I think, five hits in the last three games... There's going to be playing time for Mejia because they they need offense. And and this is what people have told me. Mejia could be the regular catcher when he comes back if Austin Hedges doesn't hit. And that that is probably a good thing for a team that's young and trying to figure out who it's... I don't want to say catcher of the future because I think there's a place for both guys on the team. But trying to figure out where they're going at catcher and maybe who's going to get the regular reps. I think if you look, look with Urias, um, it's been long enough where at, at this point... You're going to get an extra year of service time if you wait, I think, like three or four more days. So so maybe let's cool the call Urias up right now because if you wait until I think it's next Tuesday, now you have an extra year of control. But so after bring that, him up in New York. He's not going to be your DH in New York is what you're saying. Exactly, yeah. Right. A- after that, sure. You know what? If Ian Kinsler is still slumping, which I mean, there's been little reason to, to think, think that he's, he, he's, right. he's going to break out of a slump. He's not hitting the ball very hard. Uh, I think you need to call Urias up, and when you do – you call him up and you give him every day at bats, regardless of if, of if he kind of falls into a little bit of a rut. Well, how about that, Eric Hosmer? Huh? He pulled one. How about the fact that they didn't shift on a left-handed hitter? Were you, AJ, were, were you more surprised they didn't shift on a left-handed hitter or the fact that Eric Hosmer pulled one through the right side? I think of of, of anyone you wouldn't shift on, he's probably the guy, right? But they always shift on left-handed hitters. I can count on probably one hand the number of guys in Major League Baseball who are left-handed hitters who don't get shifted on these days. Just I think it's almost like a default setting for most managers these days. Yeah, I mean, maybe they should have shifted. <laughs> there you go. Everyone shift on everywhere. By the way, AJ Casavell from MLB.com. I'm Derek Togerson from NBC7. We're filling in for the coach. All right, so we're talking a lot of Padres baseball today, obviously, because this is the Padres flagship. This is the radio station. We do the, all the games with the Ted and Tony and Jesse. Um, do the pre- and post-game shows here. By the way, give us a, a call if you'd like to talk anything Padres or sports in general, 833-288-0973. All right, so what we're going to do today, a couple different segments. We're going to go through the Padres roster say, of the 25 men who are here, who's going to be here in the long term, maybe even in the short term, and who's going to be gone, and who should be here, and who should be gone, and then who's coming up, and looking ahead to set this roster for 2020, when I think we all agree, this is when you truly start to really push the Dodgers to try and say who is going to be the 800-pound gorilla of the National League West, and in turn, the National League. So, AJ, let's go through the starting rotation, all right? The guy who threw yesterday, opening day starter, Eric Lauer. Why is not the Eric not not the Eric Lauer that we see every single day? He's attacking hitters. He's throwing ninety three, ninety four. He's in the strike zone. He didn't walk anybody. He was not nibbling. Will someone please hypnotize Eric Lauer to always be this guy every time he starts? Because this is the potential he has. Well, maybe maybe he should get a five run lead every time he starts. That just, would help just, too. Yeah, and just just pitch with that. I think if you if you're breaking down the rotation and you're breaking down kind of guy by guy, there Chris Paddock is the guy. Chris Paddock is, is going to be around, and 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 from there, the and question we'll, we'll is, we'll get for how long in a else? second? Yeah, and so 
Eric Lauer is an interesting case for me. He's only 23 years old. I think people forget that a lot because he's already the opening day starter and he's like the second most ex- experienced starting pitcher on the staff. Um, I don't know if, if, if he's the answer long term, but he's he's going to have to fight for his spot in the rotation next spring. And if right. this is the guy we're going to get, the guy we've seen in the last two starts, he's going to be fine. And that's right. a, you know what? That's a, that's a useful piece on a good team as a number four or a number five starter. If if he's spotting his curveball like he is, and if if his velo ticks up a little bit like that was yesterday, uh, I think he's probably he's he's probably a piece, and right. he's going to be competing with a lot of other very very good pieces. So this rotation in, Just in go three ahead and years, say Mackenzie Gore, yeah, Mackenzie Gore, okay. Luis Patino down the road, they're, they're probably going to add someone. Garrett Richards is going to get healthy. All of a sudden. Basically, the last five years, the Padres have really struggled to find five starting pitchers. Right. And it's kind of been, well, where do we find a guy to start this Thursday? We need a starter. How can we find someone, whether it's whether it's Clayton Richard or whether it's a, a prospect maybe called up a little little earlier than you'd expect, like Nick Margavichis, who I think could right. be a piece. But clearly, he probably arrived earlier, not not only than we expected, but earlier than he should have. Probably if, should have, right. If, if we're looking at pitchers who, who have... The way their their trajectory is shaping up. So uh, I I like Eric Lauer. I think at 23 years old and what he's done already in the big leagues and kind of the poise he showed in some big games. That's a piece that that you could you could have going forward as long as he's not he shouldn't be the opening day starter next year. He no. probably shouldn't even start in the opening series. That's Chris but Paddock. That's a piece. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of like a Rich Hill, a guy who was going to be you know as he learns gets he's he's got some moxie when he shows it right. It's it's in there. When he doesn't get down, sometimes his body language on the mound gets a little bit down. His shoulders will, shrug, will slump a little bit. But when he's going well, he reminds me of like a guy who's like a, a Rich Hill who is going to go out there and and compete and give you a chance to win. He's not going to go out there and start throwing no hitters at you, but he's going he's going to give you a chance to win more often than he's not. So he's actually like you said a fourth or fifth starter kind of guy. Joey Lucchese, number two. Joey Lucchese can be incredible. Joey Lucchese can make you want to rip your hair out of your head. What is it about Joey Lucchese the third time through the order? I don't understand. Is it teams just get a read on him? He doesn't change and alter his his pitch patterns. He just starts to flatten out because he gets tired. What is it about Joey Lucchese that it's keeping him from, I think his last start, even though he went seven innings, was probably an outlier based on his career, uh, what he's shown so far the last two years. What is it about this guy that keeps him from going deeper into games, and can he be a guy who sticks in a rotation with, as you said, a lot of pieces coming? Well, it's probably a combination of all those things. He is he has two pitches essentially, right? And so the fastball with, and the curve. Yeah, and so when you're a pitcher, when you're a starting pitcher in the major leagues, and and you you're starting to face teams for a third, a fourth, a fifth time, like he is, you're probably not going to have the success that you want to have in the third time through the lineup. And there are guys, there are successful pitchers who don't often go deep. A third time in the it, through, through the order, I think Lucchese could be one of them. And if we're if we're kind of shaping this rotation for what it might be down the road, maybe you look at Lauer and Lucchese and potentially Margavichis, and and one of them is one of them is is a long man type bullpen piece, and that that could be Lucchese, that could be Lauer. To me, what the, Robbie Erlin does now, basically. what Robbie Erlin does now, that that kind of guy, and and Robbie Erlin, I, I I think he's one of the longer, he's he's the longest. Tenured Padre, right? Uh, eventually, his his arbitration about. years will be up, and and you'll need that kind of piece. T- to me, the the most important part of the 2019 season. It'd be nice if the Padres made a run at contention. Everyone wants that, but the most important part of the season is figuring out who your guys are going forward. And these maybes, like Eric Lauer and like Joey Lucchese, 
need to become either yes or no or long relief or here's what their role is going to be. And you need to figure those things out so that when you get into the offseason, you can say, all right, we need to fill in at the back of our rotation. We need to make a trade for a guy. Or, or maybe if Joey Lucchese takes that next step and his two-pitch mix works a third time through an order all of a sudden, maybe instead of saying we need to go trade for a guy, you say, you know what, let's stand pat in the rotation because we have Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino coming and, and we have some pretty Pedro good Otto prospects. looked good when he had his first start. Yeah, and and so that's what the rest of the season's about. So to me, Lauer and Lucchese are, are pieces, but they're... They're, they're maybes. We want, right. I, I want to see the rest of the season kind of who they are and whether they can make the next step. Because for the most part, what we've seen this season, and Lauer probably more so than Lucchese, is the same guys as last season. Right. Lucchese's made a little bit of a leap, but he's gotten some probably some bad luck a little bit. Uh, but they've, they've been the same guys as last season. So you want to see them just, just make a little bit of a step forward, and maybe what that takes is a little bit of a push from the guys coming. Number three starter. Do we know who it is really? Because it was <laughs> no. Dick Margavichus, and he was good until he wasn't. And again, he probably he's a guy who got here early, and I think he learned some valuable lessons. And I think just talking to him, and you've talked to probably more than I have, I think he's wired the right way in that this is not going to crush him. The fact that he had a couple of bad starts and got sent back down. I think he went to double A simply because it's a numbers game. They need more arms down there in Amarillo. He can work on more stuff than he would be able to at triple A El Paso. I think he's a guy who's going to be able to work on stuff and come back better Maybe even look like the guy he was earlier in, in the season when he was really surprising a lot of people with how well he threw. Cal Quantrill. If we can get, how about we try an opener and then get Cal out there in the second inning? Because in the first inning, he's garbage. And after that, he looks like a legitimate starting pitcher at the major league level. Is Cal Quantrill a guy who was, he's going to get one more start here? Is he on literally a start-to-start basis based on how he looks? Does he have to earn a next start every time he takes the mound now? And if he's not the guy, is Robbie Earl on the guy who jumps in? Is Logan Allen the guy who comes up? Who's the number three starter right now? Because I have like four or five options, and I don't think they know or have any idea who they can actually rely on. I I still am trying to figure this out. And this, yes. this was the question that I was asking basically at the beginning of February. And, and we'll say number three. It's really number five because obviously the, the, right. the four and five guys you put there to, at, well, at the we'll, bottom we'll, of the rotation. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to them, them in a second because they're actually the one and the two. Basically, yeah. yeah. What, what you've done essentially is set up a one-two as your four-five. Right. But uh, I, I, Quantrill and, and, and Margavichus, any good organization – has really good pieces in the upper levels of the minor leagues that they can call up when guys get hurt, that they can call up for spot starts. You look at what the Dodgers have done this season, and I hate to keep bringing up the Dodgers, but they are the gold standard in the National League. They have seven guys who have made five starts in all of ERAs under four. That's that's what it takes to be very good because— Who wants that? that that's <laughs> what it takes. That's what that's what you need to be good. It, it's, not, it's not five guys. It's not a 25-man roster. You need to be able to use your entire pitching staff, your entire res- resource— all of your resources in your rotation. This isn't the 62 All of your resources Dodgers, right. in your you're, bullpen. Not, you're not getting four guys to make every single start mm-hmm. for a whole year. It doesn't happen anymore. You need you need depth. And if you do that, they'll be burnt out in October. So, And the Padres are trying to do that a little bit this year by, by pulling up some of their depth probably a little earlier than maybe they should. And some of, the, some of these guys, I don't know if – I don't know I don't know if Nick Margavich has necessarily earned his call up on opening day – he, he was just pitched the, the well last enough. guy. He pitched well enough in the first month to say, you know what, he he rewarded the Padres' faith. But these are the guys that you, that you need to have. They're not. They're not. If you're picking your 25 man roster down the road for the first round of for the National League Division Series in 2020, 
they're probably not on it right. in, from, from what I've seen so far. So we don't know who the number three starter is. Will we see Logan Allen at some point this year? Yeah, I he's, think he's, so. he's throwing well all of a sudden down. He had a couple of rocky starts early on in, uh, in El Paso. He's really come on as of late the last month and a half or so. I, he and Margavichis and uh, Quantrill are all lined up at the same time right now. Right. And so if Quantrill struggles in Toronto, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important start, and it's, he's going back to his hometown. Right. If Quantrill struggles in Toronto, maybe you, maybe you look and say, eh, you know what, Who's which, which guy among the three is pitching the best right now? What I think the Padres need to do if they want to give themselves the best chance to win repetitively is just make that an open competition. Keep that spot in the rotation where those three guys are all pitching at the same time and whoever's the hot hand, ride that guy until they're not the hot hand anymore. And that's kind of what they did with Margavich. They've all got options. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing with Quantrill. Uh, and if he struggles, which he might not, he's he's been decent in the past, and he's pitching in a familiar environment. Maybe, maybe you call on Logan Allen then. Chris Paddock. How much more fun does this guy make our jobs? Because a, he's that good, and b, he, he might be a better interview than he is a pitcher. I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far. He's a pretty but good he's pitcher. Good. But he's a fantastic interview. Uh, when he's pitching that night, I know my job's going to be interesting, and I know yes. I'm going to have something fun to write about. I, I don't know what. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether he's going to call out Pete Alonzo or whether he's going to shut down the Mariners, but I know he's going to do something and say something that's going to be that's going to pique the interest of my readers. So he's, I, I love watching him pitch, and I, I, I wrestle with maybe how the Padres – should should limit his usage the rest of the year, but I don't wrestle with the fact that they're doing it because they they need this guy around for a long time. Because you, we want to see this guy pitch every day. We want to. We're not going to get that. We want to see this guy throw every fifth day. We're probably not going to get that for the entirety of the year. So if we're talking about, let's say it's 150 innings, okay? I think that's probably where he's going to end up, barring some sort of catastrophe, right? If he keeps going six, seven innings, because 90 pitch count, he's getting that deep because he's not walking guys. He's not a big walk machine. He doesn't give up a whole lot of hits, doesn't give a whole lot of base runners. A lot, even his, you know, BABIP is not all that high, right? So we're going to see them try to limit his innings at some point. This guy is probably the leading candidate for rookie of the year. This guy's in the all star game conversation. Could we legitimately see a guy this good be options to the minor leagues at some point? We, we all thought that would be, oh, you know, there are ways to control the innings. Just send him down for 10 days, you know, whatever. He'll sit there. He'll rest. He'll do it. Can they still – is that still in the cards for a guy like Chris Paddock with as good as he is and with him, as good as he's going to be, can they option a guy like that to save his innings? Because that would – the optics of that would not be great. No, they wouldn't, and I think maybe there's the national perception of how the Padres are, are limiting Paddock's workload might be a little off in terms of they're, they're doing it by sprinkling in other starters and giving him time off between Spot starts. starts it's not, guys like Pedro It's not, it's not Steven Strasburg, so it's not like you're going to need – you're not going to have to shut him down way early because he can only pitch 140 or 150 innings this year. You can, you can stretch that toward mid-September, and if you're in contention – Maybe that, at some that's the thing I think people are scared about yeah. is what if you are in the wild what if you're two games out of the wild card and it's September fourteenth and Chris Paddock's turn is coming up and he just hit the hundred fifty inning limit. Can well then you've you, done it wrong. In good conscience, keep him from throwing. Then you've done it wrong. I think there's gonna come a point, I don't know when it's gonna happen, maybe it's maybe it's July. Uh, but there's going to come a point in the season where it either becomes obvious that the Padres want to make a run for it, or it becomes obvious that hey, you know what, they're not, and so let's let's pitch Chris Paddock, let's shut him down on whatever imaginary shutdown date there is. And so, if they're in contention and if they need wins in late September, 
what I think you see is around the All Star break, you give Paddock the extra the extra time off. You you line him what up. What if to he's start. in the All Star game? Oh, that, pitch, that completely, pitch, that completely changes everything. There. He could pitch an inning and it won't it won't throw too much off. But if if he's if he's in the All Star game, maybe you even use that as an excuse to to add more days off in the middle of the season there. You line him up so that he pitches the earliest he can possibly pitch in the rotation before the All-Star game and the latest he could possibly pitch after the All-Star game. That buys you... Right now he's on he's on pace for 165 innings, I think. Okay. That's probably too many. So use the All-Star break as one maybe point in the season to, to give him rest. Then I think you have to find another point in the, in the year, and maybe it's after he hits a first his first road bump. I don't think... His whole rookie season is going to be as smooth as it's been. It's been really, really, really good. And Chris Paddock is really, really, really good. But even those kinds of pitchers struggle a little bit. Maybe in maybe in August, maybe in June at some point, maybe you you give him a break. So and I don't saying, know whether that requires being optioned. Maybe maybe you say, you know what, you're... I, I, no one's told me anything like this, but maybe you, you put him in the bullpen or you use him for two innings in a game. I don't know what it is, but... At some point during the year, aside from the All-Star break, if he's on pace for 165 innings and you want to get him fewer innings because you want to extend him to the end of September, you have to find more time to get him rest. So you're saying he's not going to have a sub-2 ERA for the entirety of his rookie season, which I think is probably – That's give, probably but again, but there's, fair. But there's the a fact hesitation. that we have to think but there's a hesitation. tells That's you how good that thing. guy is. That's how good this dude is. is you don't, I'm not going to put it past him. You're not putting past the fact this guy could have a sub-2 ERA for his entire rookie season. And you know why? Because he had the one stinker in L.A., which, by the way, was not a stinker by most rookie standards. By his standards that, that he set for himself, that was a stinker. And it was only three earned runs, right? And he got pulled early from that game. I loved the way he bounced back against the Diamondbacks, the team that had already seen him. He comes back with six innings, and he doesn't walk anybody, and it's seven strikeouts and one run, and he keeps his team in the game again. He doesn't get rattled. And even after that game, when he said, wait until you see my next start, which we saw that next start, and it was awfully darn impressive, this guy is just, I think, more than anything, with the stuff and the change and the fastball command, Man, his moxie, the way he's wired up in his head, that's the most impressive thing to me about Chris Paddock, and I think that's the reason he is going to have a long, successful career. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, and and his stuff is really good, and his command is really good. It, it's who he is and how he applies that stuff and that command that makes him that probably that puts him in the rookie of the year conversation. He's not scared. Probably of makes him an all star. No, he's not scared. He doesn't. He doesn't seem like a twenty three year old rookie, but he is. And so that's the kind of guy you need to protect. And I don't know how I don't know how exactly they're going to do it, but they've mapped out a plan, and I think they've mapped out a plan that where there's a potential to deviate if they're a game back of St. Louis in the wild card race on August 10th. They probably have something. Now, the, the important thing to realize because because the obvious comparison is Steven Strasburg, and then maybe you go to Matt Harvey too because they're both Boris clients. They both had Tommy John surgery. They both had innings limits, and they were both handled differently. Paddock is already being handled differently than those guys. Right. Paddock's been given five days rest between every single start he's made. He's been given six days rest in some cases. What that's done is it's already pushed back his number of – his innings total is lower than most guys in the National League. And so, I mean, if, if these numbers continue, maybe you get into – and I, I, it's too soon to say this. Maybe you get into a serious Cy Young conversation. I don't think he'll have the innings to do so. I don't I like think he'll – I don't think he will have been valuable enough – in the innings he's pitched to get that, but his numbers are going to be really good because he's really good. So to me, what you do with Chris Paddock is 
you you keep him on the course he's on. You don't need to shut him down in mid-August. You just need to sprinkle in a rest day or two, maybe a short start or two, maybe a, a, a bull, extra a time off day, around perhaps. the All-Star break, maybe a bullpen day, maybe you call up whoever, and then you can still get this guy late in September. And you know what? If you're not in contention, which, let's face it, the Padres, this, this wasn't their year for contention. If you're not in contention, you get to September 10th, he hits 150 innings, he shuts down the Rockies for seven innings, and then you say, you know what, Chris, great season, come back in 2020, win the Cy Young, we're going to unleash you. So that's when that's when they can fully unleash him upon I think the, so. the unsuspecting National League, because then not only will his innings limits be gone, his pitch limits will be gone. So he won't be throwing you know, 90, 91 pitches, and you're gone. Now you can run him up to 100, 110. That gets him into the 7th, 8th, dare I say ninth innings of some baseball games. And that gives him that chance because he's the one guy I've seen, he has no hit stuff. He can walk out on any given night and, and toss a no-no. Yeah, I th- he's going to be the first guy to do it. He's, see, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's the first guy to do it because I don't know if there's not anybody else in, in this rotation. I think Matt Strom could do it. I really believe Matt Strom could, could do it because he is so efficient. Strom pitches contact a little more. Strom he has a really good de- Especially if Tatis gets, when Tatis gets back, he has a really good defense behind him. Yeah. Yeah. But just do a lot of contact. All right. So that's AJ. I'm Derek. We're going to take a little break here on 97.3 The Fan. We're doing the morning drive. We're here in here filling in for the coach. Uh, by the way, give us a call, 833-288-0973. And we come back and take a little look back at the Padres' rewind and what happened in the game when they swept the Diamondbacks. By the way, the first sweep of a three-game series for the Padres since August of 2017 when they got the Phillies at home for three. It's been a year and a half since they swept a three-game series. That's That's crazy to me. Pitch coming to Machado, and he hits it on the screws into center field. Marte coming in, he makes the catch. Garcia tagging at third. Here comes the throw. It is not in time. Sacrifice fly, Manny Machado, and a 4-0 Padre lead here in the second. 4-0 Padre lead in the second. Was that the first time all year, AJ, they have scored three runs in the first inning? I don't know the answer to that, but I know it's it's the first time it's felt really, really easy. And, you know, wow. Since that Atlanta game. They that, haven't had a whole lot of those. No, not at all. They have not had hardly, hardly any of those. By the way, Derek Togers and NBC7, AJ Casavell from MLB.com. You're on uh, 97.3 The Fan. We're filling in for the coach on the mornings here. Give us a buzz, 833-288-0973. Anything you want to talk about? Of course, we're going heavy on the Padres because we've got the Padre expert and AJ Casavell. Casavelle here, and uh, that was a fun game to watch yesterday, as you said. So let's take a quick look back at what happened in that game, and then we'll break it down with our Padres Rewind. Want to know what happened with the Friars? It's time for Padres Rewind. He's hot. He's hot. Brought to you by EcoWater. Your water perfected. And on 2-0, he rips it into right field for a base hit. Garcia will score easily. Reyes is being waved. Jones comes up throwing. It'll be cut. A two-run single for Eric Hosmer, and he's some kind of hot right now. Padres take a 2-0 lead in the first. Ty swings and hammers one to deep left field. Swihart again going back. Again in front of the wall. Leaps up. He can't make the catch. It's of his glove. It's sitting at the base of the wall. Hosmer's on his way home. He will score without a throw. France hits second base, and the Padres lead 3-0. Pitch coming to Machado, and he hits it on the screws into center field. Marte coming in, he makes the catch. Garcia tagging at third. Here comes the throw. It is not in time. Sacrifice fly Manny Machado, and a 4-0 Padre lead here in the second. Lauer a look at second. Now the 1-2 pitch. That's it on the ground right to Hosmer. He goes down to second and tags the runner. No, he goes to the base. Now he throws to second, and they get the double play. I have no idea what Blake Swihart was doing. The runner at first base never departed. 
I don't know if he thought perhaps Hosmer had caught it on a line or what. Looked like Eric is going to throw to second instead. He realized Swihart hadn't left first base, so he just touched the bag, threw down to second, and then an easy tag for Machado. And all of that is a 3-6 double play. Bizarre. 3-2, reach four, hit in the air left field. Swihart long run. He won't get there. Hages will come in to score. Greg Garcia is three for three, and the Padres lead 5-0 in the third far the hardest contact of the day and this one in the air down the left field line Myers again on the run and again he will not get there it hops off the sidewall and it'll be an RBI double for Eduardo Escobar so all of a sudden the Diamondbacks get a little something going here against Eric Lauer and it's a 5-1 game in the sixth inning here's a little looper over third base it'll get down for a base hit Escobar on his way and he will stop now at first base as Marte crosses the plate, an RBI single from Eduardo Escobar, who has driven in both Diamondback runs. And all of a sudden, it is a save situation. 5-2 to two here in the ninth inning. Escobar runs, and the pitch is hit in the air to straightaway center. Not deep. Margo going back, tracking it, waiting on it, making the catch, and the ball game is over. Kirby Yates, 20 for 20, and the Padres sweep the Diamondbacks for the first time since 2013. A 5-2 win here this afternoon, and a wonderful conclusion to a homestand. That was Padres Rewind, brought to you by EcoWater. Stay hydrated, San Diego. You got to stay hydrated. We got our water in here. Uh, by the way, Padres fans, follow 97.3 The Fan on Twitter at 97.3 The Fan SD. It's 97.3 The Fan SD on Twitter. You're going to get updates, highlights, videos straight from Petco Park and elsewhere. Follow us on Twitter at 97.3 The Fan SD. I'm Derek Togerson filling in for the coach. You can find me on Twitter at DerekNBCSD. AJ Casavelle, MLB.com. AJ, Twitter handle. At AJ Casavelle. Simple. That's two S's, two L's. Yes, I like it. Okay, so uh, that that was that was a fun game yesterday. It was finally an easy game. Now for for a writer, it's like okay, I'm kind of cruising through this. I have my story done. It's nice and easy. It, how difficult is it covering this team when you know every game has the possibility of changing in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, and all of a sudden you're you're scrambling to get something done? Yeah. Well, God bless Kirby Yates for yes, for, twenty for twenty. Yeah, for making my job easier in the ninth inning. But I mean, the, the close games are good they're good for business because people are interested and there's generally interesting storylines that develop but every now and then you can use one of those Wednesday afternoon five nothing in the first inning five two final and even though Kirby Yates had to come in I don't think there was ever any there that game was ever in doubt it felt like it was five nothing they made some pretty dumb base running mistakes they didn't knock runners in when they should have and and (laughs) and they didn't they they could have won that they could have been up eight nine nothing in the first inning in the first couple innings uh so I it was it was just one of those games that the Padres haven't had often this season that I think good teams need to have more of because you're not always it, it's not always going to be easy you need to take some of the burden off your bullpen whether it be Craig Stammen or Kirby Yates or Trey Wingett or whoever else uh, Kirby obviously got into the game he's probably he probably needs to be eased off a little bit yes but if you're winning these games use them you know like yeah. these wins count as much now as they do later in the season. He's he's as right now Kirby Yates is probably as good as I've seen him, which is saying a lot because he's been really good. So use him, use him, secure that win, and deal with deal with whatever whatever issues come of his usage later in the season. Okay, so let's talk about this. Since you bring up Kirby Yates, um, I say trade him. I say trade him right now. Okay, because let me and let me tell you why. And let me and let me let me tell you why because he's 32 years old. Okay, he he's kind of burst on the scene and come out of nowhere. 
He he's got one more year of arbitration. He's making three million this year. He probably figure he kicked that up to five, six, seven million next year on the final year of arbitration. So he's affordable. So he'll be desirable. And his trade value will never be as high as it is right now. And I just don't see as a 33, 34, 35 year old pitcher him being the closer for this team as they go into their true contention years. Now, I will say this. I absolutely love Kirby Yates. He's one of my favorite guys in that clubhouse. He's a tremendous clubhouse guy. He's He is an awesome dude. He's a, been a fantastic pitcher since he really committed to the Are splitter. you going to make my case not to trade him for me? His business, all that, but I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying all that. I'm not saying I'm, you know, Kirby Yates is a guy who I would love to have in my clubhouse. However, if you can get what I think they can get for him, because you know, look, they they got Francisco Mejia last year for Brad Hand, right? Uh-huh. They, if they, they can get something along those lines from a contender who needs a closer, why wouldn't you make that trade? I think it's because you're at a different point than you were last July. If th- this July is different from where it was last July, if the Padres are still two games above 500 and they have Kirby Yates for another year, the bullpen, as it stands right now, doesn't have another closer. Trey Wingener? Trey Wingener might be a closer down the road. Maybe Andres Munoz at AAA. Maybe he's a closer down the road. They don't have a closer right now, and this is a team that's trying to win and trying to put itself into contention. Plus, Kirby Yates' presence alone might help breed that next closer. Might help. You see him in the clubhouse like I do. He's, he's one of the best guys for these young guys to learn from. His locker is basically surrounded by all the other young relief pitchers. Uh, kind of in that in that left hand corner, he's he's an important piece. I'm not saying obviously if you get blown away by a trade offer, sure, Do go it, ahead, right. explore it. I don't know what you're gonna get, and I also think that his value is derived more from what he more from just what he's gonna produce numbers wise in the next year and a half. Plus, next year if you want to make a real run at it, Kirby Yates is gonna help you. Having right. Kirby Yates on board is clearly gonna help you. And I don't know if he's the closer of the future. But maybe having him here helps you ease the closer of the future, whoever that is. Maybe it helps him. It helps ease him in a little bit. Uh, and maybe having Kirby Yates allows him to. I, I don't know. There's there's no, so many cases throughout history where a guy comes up and he pitches the seventh and then the eighth and then he becomes the ninth inning guy. Mariano Rivera did it. Every every closer did it. Every right. Rivera set up John Wetland for a long time. Yeah, and, before and, he became Mariano Rivera. And the Yankees won with that as their as their 96, formula. right. John Wetland was a closer in 96 when they won that first championship. Yeah, and Rivera pitched the seventh eighth inning. So whoever that closer is, whoever that closer ends up being can benefit from pitching behind Kirby Yates and learning what Kirby Yates does, learning the way he goes about his business. And he goes about his business He's, as, a, he's a pro. He's he's a pro. And he he works. I, I don't want to put too much stock into the way a guy studies because ultimately it's how they it's how they pitch and it's how they perform. Right. But relief pitchers don't always have to do as much homework as Kirby Yates does about the hitters that they face, and Kirby Yates does that. And he's had success, I think, because of it because he's only a two pitch pitcher. He has a fastball and he has a splitter, and they're both very very good. But he knows what he's throwing to each guy and when he's throwing them to each guy. I think a lot of these relievers just kind of. Put down, rely on go stuff. with, they, yeah. and they rely with whatever Austin Hedges says. And Austin Hedges knows what he's doing. But Kirby Yates does his homework enough where it's 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 his batter, and he knows what he wants to throw to the guy, and he's the one in charge there. And there's there's something to be gleaned from how much work Kirby puts in to get to the guy he is, and the fact that hey, he wasn't even drafted; he was an undrafted guy. Right. And that's crazy. And, to me. and the work that he put in to get to where he is, the respect he commands. 
I know I'm going off intangibles here. Obviously, the numbers speak for themselves, but the, that those are the reasons that I would keep him around and not trade him. But the uh, Padres also have done a very good job with AJ Preller in finding guys yep. like that. There's a long. I mean, look at Brad Hand, Kirby Yates. They they find guys who you, you never even heard of before, who were off the scrap heap somewhere else. But they saw they saw the slider that Brad Hand wasn't throwing. They saw the splitter that Kirby Yates wasn't throwing. I have to believe there's another guy out there somewhere that is not throwing something that can be a huge weapon that these guys with 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 Preller and Darren Balsley can identify and go. We're going to get that guy for nothing, and he becomes our next, you know, Brad Hand, Kirby Yates type type of mold. Easier, they, they, they've got a history of doing that. Yeah, easier said than done, but the Padres do it. And I I, I don't know what the secret is. I know Pete DeYoung and the scouting department do a great, great job. Uh, it's it's not as simple as seeing Brad Hand slider and saying, you know what, that guy is going to be an elite closer, or Kirby Yates' splitter, which he wasn't even throwing all that much before he got to the Padres, saying that guy is going to be an all-star in 2019. It's not that simple. Jim Cowles, MLB Pipeline. He's on the SDCCU Fan Hotline. Jim, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? Doing good. Doing good, guys. How are you doing, AJ? Great. How are you? Uh, in the throes of the draft, but at least I enjoy it. So uh, <laughs> so it's it's fun, but it's a lot of work. The draft's only, I think, uh, if I'm counting correctly, 11 days away right now. Yeah, I'm sure it's one of your busiest times of year. We're, we're going to take you off the draft for a second, though, and, and ask sure. you about Mackenzie Gore, just because he's been so dominant. He's I, I didn't think we'd see a guy be able to replicate what Paddock did last year, and he might be even better than that. Uh, where is he in his progression, and how close do you think he is to, toward making a, a leap to double-A? Uh, you know, he, 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 well, as you guys know, I mean, I, I, I adore all things Mackenzie Gore. I, I would have taken him number one overall in the 2017 draft, and I think he's right there you know, right now, in all of baseball, with Casey Mize, who was the number one pick last year, number one overall pick by the Tigers, and Forrest Whitley, those are the three best pitching prospects in baseball. And, you know, there's just guys, and Casey Mize is doing it in the Tiger system, too, who are just too good for their level. And I think Mackenzie Gore, even though he's only 20 years old, is carving up the Cal League. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You know, I mean, he, I, I think he could have done this last year if he didn't have the blister problems, and he just never was quite, you know, himself and in a routine. And, and we're seeing the guy that people raved about in 2017. I, I, I think he's ready to go up now. And, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and just be bold here, because I guess I have to be bold with all things Mackenzie Gore. The Padres keep playing well, and, and they're in the wild card race, and I don't think they're going anywhere. No, 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 not not this year. You're not saying this year, Jeff. I'm I'm just going to say, if they're contending, and he does this, let's say he goes on a run of eight or ten starts like this in double-A, I think it's just like Casey Mize with the Tigers, and the reason Casey Mize is not in the big leagues right now, and he's older than McKenzie, is because the Tigers are terrible, and there's no reason to promote him. If the Padres contend and McKenzie Gore continues to dominate, I think you got to look at, at thinking about being bold and calling him up, because you guys mentioned Chris Paddock. How many innings are you getting out of Chris Paddock this year? You uh, 150 at least. At least. I would. I mean, I was going to say, I don't think okay, most, most teams want to like go 50, you know, roughly 50 innings more than the guy did the year before. I think it's 150 innings most. And as great as Chris Paddock has been, you know, and maybe hopefully they'll be smarter at the Padres' will than the, the Nationals were with Steven Strasburg years ago. You know, maybe skip a start here and there. But, you know, I, I don't think you're getting 32 starts you know, 180 innings out of Chris Paddock at the big league level. So I, I, I know I'm crazy. I've been crazy on Mackenzie Gore the whole time since he was in high school. I'm just saying, when you pitch like this in the minors, like Chris Paddock did last year, 
it's usually an indication that you're ready for the big leagues. I'm not saying jump in from Lake Elsinore, but if you put Mackenzie Gore in Double A soon and he pitches like this for for a couple of months in Double A, then yeah, I would consider putting him in the big leagues. I mean, look at Chris Paddock last year; he had crazy numbers. And his pure stuff isn't necessarily as good as Mackenzie Gore's. And people are like, oh, you know, he doesn't have much of a breaking ball. How's this going to play in the big leagues? Well, it's playing pretty well in the big leagues. So I would just throw that out there. You can add that to my list of crazy things I've said about Mackenzie Gore in my lifetime. And I am qualifying it. You know, I think we need to see him in double-A first. But if he pitches like this in double-A and the Potters are contending, then I'd consider calling him up. But doesn't he have the same kind of innings limit problem, though, that, that Chris Paddock had? Because Paddock threw 90 innings last year, and he's going to be capped at, hopefully, you know, at the top end, 150. Mackenzie Gore, with that blister problem, only threw 60 and two-thirds innings last year. He's already at 42 right now. So by the end, back end of the year, wouldn't they be shutting him down as well? So that would kind of preclude them for bringing him up because he does have, again, another innings limit just like Paddock does and probably maybe around 100 for him this year, maybe 110? Don't confront me with logic. Um, yeah, <laughs> I apologize. This it's my weakness. <laughs> I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that part of it. Yes, the, the, that, the, the same issue I'm bringing up with Paddock, you know, works for Mackenzie Gore as well. So, but, but I, you're I, right. I, I mean, guess, he's so excited. We want to see this. Yeah. So I, I guess I, maybe I'll tamp it down a little bit because, like, you know, his innings limit is going to be tighter. Tamp it down a little bit. I, 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 will, I will go on the limb then and suggest that if Mackenzie Gore continues to pitch like this and duplicates Chris Paddock's year, you know where he dominates, you know high A and double A. Even though he's two years younger than Chris Paddock, I think you got to give a look to Mackenzie Gore making next year's opening day rotation. Yes, yeah, the, the, the draft has clouded my uh, my brain a little bit, and I was not thinking of Mackenzie Gore's innings limit as well. But you're right. I mean, it's going to be interesting. He probably only has about another seventy innings this year. I think it's perfectly fair to, to suggest that Gore could be in the opening day rotation next year. I mean, you look at the way oh, yeah. the Padres have progressed, the, the pitchers they've drafted so quickly, and with Gore's raw stuff, it's, it's probably better than any of the other guys that have been there. That's kind of the next thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask you. The, the Padres, under A.J. Preller, have drafted a lot of guys who have progressed very fast to the major leagues. What is it about the organization? Are they drafting the right guys? Are they developing them fast? What is it that, that has allowed them this much success this quickly through the draft? I think it's a combination of things. One, it's drafting the right guys. I mean, Mackenzie Gore is special. You know, Ryan Weathers is very advanced for his age. Uh, you know, the Potters will tell you a guy like Luis Patino. Uh, you know, he kind of, I mean, nobody saw him becoming what he what he did. I mean, they liked the arm. They didn't think it was going to be this good. You know, Logan Allen was advanced for his age. I, I think it's a combination of, of great scouting, Great player development, and I just think it's an aggressive mentality that starts with with AJ and kind of you know permeates the whole organization. I mean, you, you go back to his time with the Rangers, and, and AJ was you know a big part of their success, and a lot of that success was being bold and aggressive with with, with signing players and developing him, developing them, and I think they're just kind of continuing that here. Their they're, they're second-round pick, I'm looking through 2017 right now, and, of course, that's when they got Mackenzie Gore third overall. Their second-round pick was Luis Camposano, the catcher, who all of a sudden he's at A-ball right now along with Gore, and he's hitting more than 300. We thought that he'd be a very good defensive catcher, maybe maybe the best two-way catcher in the system, would you say that, Jim? And and yeah. how, how quickly is he going to start pushing for playing time as well? Because this kid coming out of high school in 2017, he looks like he's picking up the game incredibly quickly as well. I mean, how, how many guys are there that we don't even really talk about that? much 
Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a lot of guys who get lost in the in the shuffle a little bit because the system's so deep. You know, like like Tukapita Marcano is, is kind of a sleeper that I don't think a lot of people know about. Well, Camposano, I, you know, he's a catcher, so those guys develop more slowly. I'd also say, I mean, he is off to a nice start. The Cal League is an offensive league, even if Mackenzie Gore and, and Chris Paddock before him did not make it look that way. So, you know, is probably a, a year-at-a-time type of guy. Um, so I think you're realistically for him looking at him being up sometime in 2021, you know, to be like the toward the end of that year, because um, he's young and, and catching takes time to develop. But no, I mean it's, I mean that's the exciting thing about this system, even with, you know, Tatis is up and Mejia's up and, and Paddock's up and Luis Arias was up and will probably be back at some point. I mean, there's a ton more talent coming, and, and I mean, you know, AJ, you did our, our top 30 this year. Um, you know, so you know how loaded they are. But but it really, I mean, this is an organization that, that you, if you took the guys in their 21 to 30 range, some of those guys might make the top 10 of lesser farm systems. I mean, one of my one of my favorite prospects in the system, and he's super young and crazy good too, and you may see him in San Diego this year, is Andres Munoz, who's 20 years old and throws like 102 miles an hour, with a, a nasty slider, and we did a an Arizona Folly broadcast two years ago when I think he was only 18, the youngest guy in the league, and it was it was a game where Ronald Acuna hit two home runs. So Joe McGray and I were just laughing at how easy Ronald Acuna was making the game look, and then Munoz came in to pitch the eighth inning or so, and I think he he hit 99 or 100, and his slider was like 89 or 90 and basically breaking straight sideways, and we were laughing at him. We were like, this is ridiculous. I mean, that, that day... You know, he's 18 years old. His stuff would have gotten big leaguers out. I mean, it, it was crazy. And, you know, he needs to stay healthy and be more consistent. But, you know, I mean, and there's a guy that, like, I don't think many people who who aren't diehard Padres fans have probably ever heard of. And they might soon. I, I think that's the interesting thing with the Padres system is is how deep it is. And we've heard about that for a long time. Now in 2019, there are guys at the, at the front end that are graduating. So you, Chris Paddock's off the board. Fernando Tatis is going to be off the board. Mejia, Urias, those kind of guys. I, like you said, I, I put together most of the top 30 this year, but I don't, I don't have the, the framework to compare them to the rest of the league. When these guys have graduated, is the Padres system deep enough that it's still one of the elite systems, if not the elite system in baseball, even once these guys are gone, maybe this summer or, or the following winter? Well, I think when you you, know, you take a Paddock and a Tatis and a Mejia and an Urias off, they won't be number one. Because, I mean, depth does matter, but a lot of it's star talent. But... It's amazing to say that you're going to lose four guys like that, you know, four potential all-stars, and it's still going to be, you know, it's hard for me to say, like, unless you, like, sit there and break down each system, which I haven't done recently. But I can't pinpoint exactly where they'd rank, but it's still going to be a top-ten system. It's still, they won't be as top-heavy as they were. You know, I think they had, what was it, AJ, 10 of our top 100 prospects coming into the year? Um, and they yeah. had a couple guys graduate. They won't have 10 of those guys, but they still will have one of the deepest systems around. And it's just, it's it's amazing. And I'll just throw this out there, too. I, I, I applaud the Padres. I give them a ton of credit. I understand why teams do what they do with service time, and, and it makes sense from a business standpoint. It would have been very easy for the Padres to say, you know what, we haven't been very good for a while. Ah, you know, Tatis, you know, and Paddock, you know, hadn't even played in AAA, so we're going to give them, you know, a month or six weeks there. And I applaud the Padres for, for recognizing these are the best players we have and bring, putting them in the big leagues. And those guys are producing. I know Tatis has been hurt recently, but those guys have produced in a big way, and they're they're helping fuel a team contending for a wild card. And, and I don't think this contention's a fluke. I, I say this all the time. If you look at the, the the top farm systems in baseball in a given year, like the top two or three, the really elite farm systems, 
a lot of times those major league teams make a jump a year earlier than you think. We saw it with the Cubs and the Astros in 2015, and they wound up winning World Series. We saw it with the Brewers two years ago when they surprisingly contended for most of the season, and that wasn't a fluke. They almost went to the World Series last year. Um, and I think the Padres, are, you know, we saw it with the Braves last year too, and I think the Padres are the latest example of, like, I, I don't think this is a fluke. You know, these teams with great farm systems, and the Padres' farm system isn't just great. I mean, coming into the year, the guys AJ was talking about, the 10 top 100 prospects, the amazing depth, that, that might be the best farm system or collection of farm system talent we've seen in baseball in about a decade at least. Um, and so I don't think it's a fluke, and I think the Padres deserve a lot of credit for not playing these service time games and saying, hey, you know, Fernando Tatis and Chris Paddock can help us win now, and they have. Talking to Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline here on 97.3, the fan in the morning. Uh, so let, let's see who's next. The next guy who's going to come up, who's the next one to graduate from this system? Uh, AJ and I were just sitting here talking about, we'd love to see Josh Naylor come up because they're going to start a six-game road trip in the American League parks in Toronto and in New York. Naylor has been killing it at AAA. And again, we can get into the whole thing with the Pacific Coast League is nowhere near translating when it comes to numbers to Major League Baseball. But you're talking about a guy with 24 walks, 24 strikeouts. I mean, obviously, he can hit. He's 21. He's hit everywhere he's been. Is he the next guy who's going to get a, a shot here? And how much would you like to see a guy like that come up? And especially, maybe just selfishly, but the Canadian kid, let him make his debut in Toronto. How cool would that be? That, that would be cool. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Josh Naylor isn't on our top 100 right now. He's our highest-ranked non-top 100 Padre. But he's not that far off. I mean, he's got power. And what, what's impressed me about him the last couple of years, you know, he's got big power in there. But he's just a hitter. He hasn't swung for the fences. Um, so I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I, he you know, is probably best suited for a DH role. Um, and, and fortunately, I think for him, we'll have a DH in the National League within a couple of years. Thank goodness. But, um, he, he, can, he can really hit. And, and I will say one thing that's goofy, it, it's, I don't know why I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a mild rant about this. The, 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 anybody who doesn't think the balls in Major League Baseball are – juiced might be the wrong term, but let's say like uh, lively might be the best way to put it – just needs to look at AAA. They've switched to Major League balls in AAA this year, and AAA leagues are now scoring, I think, 30 or 35 percent more runs than the rest of the minors. And you just – there's guys with crazy – Offensive numbers everywhere. And as you guys know, El Paso is a great place to hit to begin with. You saw what Ty France was doing at the beginning of the year. But it, it, it's crazy. I mean, the, 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 the slugging percentages, I think, are up 30, 40, 50 points in AAA this year compared to last year. And, you know, it, it's not even been warm yet. You know, those, those tend to rise as the weather rises. So just one – Josh Naylor is legit. But one word of caution, when you look at AAA stats this year, realize the baseballs are the same balls they're using in the big leagues, and they're not what they were using last year, and AAA offensive numbers are through the roof, which is, you know, probably explains, too, why, you know, Logan Allen, you know, that 4.54 ERA, when you adjust for El Paso and the fact that they're basically throwing billiard balls with seams painted on them, uh, that 4.54 ERA is not too bad. Yeah, no kidding. Jim, one, one more real quick before we let you get out of here. Um, the draft this year coming up, AJ's been known to take risks. He he likes his high upside guys. He's also, he, he has a trend of taking pitchers in the last couple of years. Any indication of which way you think the Padres might be leaning this year? I think they go position player. It, it, this is the worst group of college pitchers who belong in the first round I've seen in 30 years. 
And the Potters are in a position where they pick six. I think there are six hitters who are going to go at the top of the draft in whatever order. They're not going to get a shot at Adley Rutschman, uh, the catcher from Oregon State, or Bobby Wood Jr., high school shortstop from Texas. Um, but they're going to probably wind up with one of, of C.J. Abrams, who's a speedy shortstop from Georgia. Uh, you got J.J. Bleday, the NCAA home run leader for Vanderbilt. He's a right fielder. Riley Green, who's probably a left fielder, but probably the best all-around hitter uh, in the high school crop. Um, it would be all in the mix for them, and I uh, am drawing a quick blood. The other guy is, um, is uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, did I mention Andrew Vaughn? I think I forgot Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn. Oh, the is Cal, the Cal for space. Yeah, because right. I don't know if Andrew Vaughn will actually make it all the way to six, and I was, that's why I was losing. But he's the best all-around hitter in college. So I think this is a little oversimplified, but assuming all those guys do go in the first six picks like we expect, it probably just comes down to whichever one of the six is left when the Potters pick at six. I'd be very surprised if they took a pitcher. I don't think there's really a pitcher worthy of that spot. If they do go pitching, it would probably be Nick Lodolo, a lefty from TCU, who is the best pitcher in this year's draft, the best college pitcher in this year's draft, but he's probably more of a number three or four starter, and I just don't think that's the type of, of guy that, that A.J. and the Potters would pull a trigger on. At six, I think they'll just take the best player. Jim Cowles, MLB Pipeline, man, that's good. So we, we, what we call in this business a wind-up tour. We just set you up, and you just go, and it's great stuff. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us. Uh, let's do it again sometime because you make our jobs easier, and we appreciate that. Yeah, no, it was great talking to you. And, and, and AJ, I'm going to give you a quick shout-out. That, that story you did on Tony Gwynn chasing 400 1994. Anybody who's listened to this, go to MLB.com and check that out. That was a, a very fun read. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. I had a lot of fun writing that as well. I probably had more fun writing it than you guys all did reading it. I do. It's probably close, though. But anyway, have a good day, guys. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Jim. All right, Jim Cowles, MLB Pipeline. Uh, you're coming though, to us on the SDCCU Fan Hotline. That was Best of Coach. Five to nine, mornings, right here on 97.3 The Fan. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.